all of the value in these other chains, all of the value in these, you know, businesses and everything else surrounding crypto generally, it's it's non-existent. It's going to disappear. And I guess it inures to our benefit and that all of that value eventually flows back into our project. It just takes so long. Hello from Nashville, and thank you to everyone who came out to our live event last night. It was wicked. We had Preston Pish, Amat Odell, and a whole bunch of stuff, including BlackRock. We're going to get that show released. But anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and we got our crazy friend, Junseth, back on the show. Now, this was the last one we made out in Miami. We got into a whole bunch of stuff, ordinals, Bitcoin cycles. You know what's like with Junseth. We just cover all the latest stuff. So it was a great show. We also got a bit of singing out of him, as ever. I think I'd have him sing at my wedding if I ever got married again. Anyway, I know you're going to love this. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can drop me an email. Hello, whatbitcoindid.com. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yep, that's better. It's the best sound checks in the business, Danny. And then for the times when we're apart, Peter. Well, then close your eyes and know these words are coming from my heart. And then if you can remember, keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me for sure. That's what friends are for. In good times and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. That's what friends are for. Keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me for sure. That's what friends are for For good times and bad times I'll be on your side Oh, it's bad <laughs> That's what friends are for I tried some fancy shit at the end, it didn't you work really out You really did, you yeah. weren't big No, it didn't go good Should we do a duet? Sure I want to hear a duet. <laughs> Let's do, um, what's that Frozen song with the, uh, no, the other one with the, the man and the woman. You have Klaus Schwab on your leg? That's, uh, <laughs> that's Jiddu Krishnamurti. Oh, you knew that. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> I was like, that's Klaus Schwab. <laughs> I wish I could sing. <laughs> Honestly, of all the, all the talents, you know, play a musical instrument, speak foreign language, Any, I wish I could sing. Yeah. I am fucking terrible. I wasn't so good at the end there. I sing a lot in the car. Do you? Loudly, that's, that's all, that's all. I mean, we're just doing sound checks here, so like these are no, all we're from, rolling now. Yeah, I, know, I know that. I just say, like, when we do that, it's always like sound checks. The, loud, the louder I turn it up, the better I get. Yeah? Oh, so the more you hear the radio. Yeah. yeah that's, I'm that's like, really I'm pretty good. good. And then I turn it up, I was like, no, I'm fucking terrible. I am. Bit. What do you think, Con? <laughs> oh man Metallica! even that you'd do better than i could yeah i was once in a rap band 
You did a rap band? I was in a hip hop band called the Mad Cowboys. The Mad Cowboys. The Mad Cowboys. Oh, that's cute because you're English, so like yeah. uh Mad Cow You know what I forgot? Can you go into my car and grab the green glasses? Cowboy I'm, Cowboys with a Z, right? It's messy in the front, but it's on the right side under the sandwich uh wrapper thingy. Cowboys with a Z. We have a Cowboys. Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe worse. I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely worse. I, was only, I, was I like the mad, the mad cow boys. That's, yeah. Is there a space between cow and boys? No. Mm. Cowboys. Was mad cow like a really big fear for you? Yeah. Uh, Back in the it was day? a thing. And I don't think it was like a fear that we would get it as humans. No, it was. When I was growing up, I remember people were like. Do like avoid McDonald's? People didn't eat beef for like years. Yeah, they they culled a lot of uh, cows. I don't remember thinking I'm going to get it. It never got to humans, did it? I can't remember. Uh, I think it did a couple times. Did it? Hello, lady. We brought the dog today. Yeah, we Can got you actually turn my monitor up even more a little bit? Yeah. I like hearing myself. You know? I like hearing you. Well, thank you, Peter. I miss miss you when I don't <laughs> see It's you. been a while. No, uh, it hasn't. not long, actually. actually. It was New York. It was like two weeks ago. We, yeah, I mean, a month. And we saw you like three days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but before that, but I feel like I feel like the it's been a while is like a a good uh, fake greeting. It's sort of kind of a. It feels like it's been a while. You had quite the run in New York. You had some interesting interviews. The GBTC. Yeah, the one. Sunshine one. Yeah, that's uh, that's made some. He uh, some he, waves. He unfollowed the What Bitcoin did Ooh, account after that. Yeah. Well, you know. I think he was uh, disappointed how that came out. So you're not an investor in GBTC. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. No, God. If no. you haven't seen that, you got to see that. That's me promoting your show on your show. Are you investing in GBTC? Yeah, I like GBTC. <laughs> oh God! But did you, you start investing after all the shit happened? Why well, did after it all went uh, negative nav? Mm. Which you know, to me it seemed it didn't make any sense. Like when it was positive nav, I would buy Bitcoin, and then once it went negative nav, you know, I was like, great, like I'll buy. I'm buying Bitcoin now on discount, as far as I'm concerned, presuming. Nothing stupid happens. Like they don't, you know, get hacked or you know lose the coins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I got a feeling there's more to come out on this story. Do you? I do. Yeah, I do. I think the the only worry that I would have is if their obligation, if they have obligations, uh, the coins are obligated somewhere else somehow. Yeah. So, well, that would be my number two fear if I held GBTC. My number one fear would be: Do they have the coins? All the coins. I'm fairly certain they have all the coins, but I uh, but I can I can I think that the custodial aspect in Bitcoin, you know, not your coins, not your not your keys, not your coins. Uh, I think it applies to all things. So you know, for me, it's a trade. It's not like a, it's it's not a recommendation I make to anybody. But I, for me, it's a risk I'm willing to take on the discount to Nav uh, that's occurred. I think I think it's time for them to start doing the right thing here. Well, I think, you know, my disappointment in your interview is that you didn't push them on fees. Because to me, that's where the crime is. <laughs> that's so stupid that they have those absurd fees on that thing. It's just a trust. Uh, IAU, which is a gold trust, has, I don't know, half a percent fee or something like that or a quarter percent fee. It's real low. There's no reason that a Bitcoin fee has to be, what, 4% or whatever the hell they charge. No, and, you know, we wanted to get to fees, but um, after I... Uh Farted on him after I said what I thought about um, his position. I disagreed with his position. He um, he was trying to wrap up. Danny was doing this because I think his PR lady wanted it over, and 
so we got to a point where it just it just had to end and I didn't even get to fees. Um <clears throat> so you gotta wrap up. Fees would have been less uh less inflammatory, I think, to deal with than like accusing him of fraud. Uh, I don't think I accused him of fraud. I, I, what I, I think what I said was I, I, I didn't believe him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it came out afterwards. Somebody sent me the, um, I think it was, the, was it the loan agreement with Genesis? Which when it signed, there was where, signature. He was a signatory to it. So yeah. it was kind of like, yeah, there were some people pissed off on YouTube said I was too harsh. You know, I didn't have any evidence. And then it came out and I put it on Twitter. They're like, oh, now you're sucker punching him. Why didn't you show it in the interview? I didn't get it till after the interview. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Were you just operating on instinct in that interview? Is that? Yeah. So what happened was we we did a lot of prep. But the, the thing is about something like GBTC, you know, there's a lot to understand, and there's a lot to try and unpick. And really, it needs an investigation, not an interview, an actual investigation. And so we all I said to Danny in advance, I said we'll just talk him through it. And the only thing I'm I'm prepared to do is if I don't believe him, I'm going to say to him, I don't believe him. I said that in advance. I said, if I, if if I think he's lying to us, I'm going to say it. And the reason I considered that beforehand was because it was a PR company who reached out and asked to do the interview. So I'm like, well, yeah, there's a fire on the ship and you know, you've, uh, you sent in the fire brigade. So anyway, so we did the interview and then, um, you know, offered him a beer to set him, like relax him and just, you know, let them know that we're not the enemy. I had no intention of of it being that way. And and then just on instinct in the interview, I was just like, I asked him the first question. I can't remember what it was, a bit of his background, and then started to, rather than other people tell me what to ask him about, I thought, you know, I'll ask you about how this thing runs <clears throat> and how this operates, and then I can ask questions on it. But what happened is he was basically telling me everything he did in the company, all the things he'd been involved in. And I... And when we got to the end bit where he talked about what he knew and what he didn't know, I didn't believe him. So it came, it, it felt like I hit him with like a throat punch at yeah, the end. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because for me, that interview seemed seemed like an optics thing. Uh, to me, I'm really not that concerned with GBTC. Like I think uh, a lot of the stuff you brought up about the loan agreements, I think that for the most part, in my opinion, he's being pretty honest that he's not you know, super involved in the process of who's getting them and such. Uh, but I think optics wise, I think that you are probably sort of hitting on like the optics problem that GBTC has more than anything, which, you know, you're not a lawyer and I'm not a lawyer and you and I don't look at that loan agreement the same, but I can see exactly how you get out of that loan agreement, what you got out of that loan agreement, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So I think it, I, for me, GBTC has got an optics problem and, uh, and until, you know, I, I you know David uh, of Bitcoin Magazine has been kind of leading the GBTC shareholder uprising. I guess yep. he was saying that I heard him on a podcast. I think it might have been your podcast. He was talking about how he's he's heard rumblings that they're not even going to convert for a year or two after the uh, SEC allows them to convert, if that's a possibility, uh, to you know eke out more of those sweet sweet uh, fees. So I mean, if that's true, that's pretty crappy of them given their uh, their stance, but. I also don't know if it is true, but I think optically they have a problem, and that's Not massively have a problem. Oh yeah, um, but there's like a, and it's not going to go away until they convert. Which in my case, if I'm if if I'm right that there's not that much to be worried about, I'm going to make a massive killing on this trade, right? But if if other people are right and that these optic problems actually translate into real world problems and like you know could kill my trade. 
Yeah, and I don't know how it all all the different bits relate and where the clawbacks are, if they are. I mean, we just had the announcement this week that DCG did not pay back its loan to Genesis, which was, what, $630 million? Something like that, yeah. And so these interconnections between DCG, Genesis, Grayscale, it's, it feels like a bit of a mess, and I, th- I don't think we all know exactly what's gone on. The only thing I, that is obvious is that some of it feels a little bit I'm going to want to be careful with my words, but some of it just feels a little bit shady or a little bit irresponsible. Like I said, it's an optics problem right now. Right now, it's just an optics problem. And the day it becomes more than that, uh, will vindicate or not vindicate that interview. You know what I mean? Like it'll, th- well, that interview I think is important because I think it, it stands as like a moment where that's how a lot of the investors seem to feel. And I don't, I don't know. It's hard to know whether those fears are rational or not until something falls, right? And, you know, with Gox, with all of these exchanges, we've had the same sort of thing. You know, the investors felt a certain way. The, uh, the, the, the depositors felt a certain way. Some of them felt that it was going to go, you know, collapse, so they pulled their money out. Others didn't, so they kept their money in. They believed the rhetoric, and then it collapsed, vindicating everyone who thought one way, right? So that's how this is always this always goes in Bitcoin. People make their calls. Roger Veer goes in and goes, it's very it's a very stable company. You know, it's uh, I've, I've I've went and I checked the deposits, and uh, I, I put my dipstick in it, and uh, I pulled it out, and it's filled with oil. You know, and then it was it went belly up. So you, you know, guys operate operating um, Bitcoin Uncensored when that happened? Yeah, uh, I think it was after. No, it was it was after. Uh, we started Bitcoin Uncensored after because I remember Gox collapsed, the price collapsed. Uh, we pre Bitcoin Uncensored, we were once there was there was this conference in Disney <laughs> called uh, was it is Disney Bitcoin or something like that? Um, <laughs> Bit oh. Uh, Matt, uh, Magic, the Bitcoin in the Magic Kingdom or something like that. I don't remember. Um, but it was it was a great conference. Antonopoulos was there. Bruce uh, Fenton was there. I was there. Uh, David Mondras got married on the blockchain there to his already Filipino wife, uh, a Filipinas. And she, they, it, was just, it was just a blast. And that, I remember that week because it was post the price degrade, but it wasn't like where we, we, we weren't all the way at the bottom yet. And it was still kind of like, remember how like last year at the conference, it still kind of, it was coming down, but it felt like it might still be a, a bull market. That was kind of the position that we were in there. Coins in the kingdom. That was what it was called. Coins, Coins in, the, in kingdom. the kingdom. I like that. It'd be a better name for Saudi Arabian conference. <laughs> how, and, and during that, because we weren't really around during the amount of God's time. I wasn't really involved in Bitcoin. I, I didn't barely knew what happened. I, I found out about it a lot more after when we started the podcast. People talked about it a lot. You heard about it a lot having gone through what's happening this last year with Luna, Three Arrows, FTX, does it feel the s- similar or was it completely different? It's always the same. Oh, it was the same. I mean, just, like, remember that I was in California, uh, shirtless with a uh, uh, one of those uh, VR goggles on in your show. And yeah, yeah. I, I think I called out Luna specifically or these stable coins. I called out the deep heggings. Um, I, I gave credit to Brad Mills, obviously, who... I've been talking about it a long time, but I was saying that these depeggings are are imminent, and it was obvious. Uh, this is a lot of this is obvious. You know, all of this stuff is obvious. Things are going up. Everyone feels good about it. And they, you know, what do they say when the when the tides go out? Uh, you see who's swimming naked, mm-hmm. and that's what happens in Bitcoin every time. You know, it's really hard to remember, 
that when things are going up, they do come down. It's really hard because I think all of us are looking for the ever pump. We're waiting for that day when Bitcoin keeps going up and then it just keeps going up. And I think all the shitcoiners feel the same way. Like they feel like when that happens, their coin will also just continue to rise. And I'm not Nostradamus. I don't see uh, necessarily it's coming, but I I'm clearly a maximalist. I believe that Bitcoin is the only coin here that matters. Everything else will eventually fail. I don't know on what timescape that occurs in, but everything I think will. And as it goes up, things come down. And I, I mean, I don't know that there will ever be an ever pump, but I think that every Bitcoiner wants that because they want an excuse not to sell when the price is going up. They want to, they want to, you know, feel like they're the smart ones at the end of this, even though at the end of all of these, you know, the, the, the market collapses and uh, we all have a lot more wealth than we started with, but a lot less than if we'd sold at the top and then bought back at the bottom. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's always a challenge. But I, 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 the only difference is I, my understanding of Mt. Gox was at the time it felt like this could be, this was an existential crisis for Bitcoin. Whereas right now it's like, okay, it's just another exchange. We'll get past it. Every, but if you, hear the, if you hear the rhetoric around it, everyone believes all of these are existential crises. Right. So, you know... I hear after Gox, I remember hearing it's that's going to be ten years before anybody trusts Bitcoin again. And I was like, if you say so. And then a couple years later, it pumps, and then uh, you know the ICO bubble happens, and it, it all collapses, and everything is a scam, obviously, because they were selling like time machines, and and it collapses, and I hear it again. Everyone, it's going to be ten years before anyone trusts this this entire industry. And then a couple years later, it pumps. And uh, then, you know, the tides go out and FTX collapses and Luna collapses and Safe Moon collapses and Doge collapses and everything collapses. And then what do I hear? All of these smart money go, ah, it's going to be 10 years before anyone trusts us again. You know, what's <laughs> going to happen in two years. So I'll be back I know. and PayPal is going to get back in or whoever, like uh, all the companies that abandoned Bitcoin uh, because no one, no one buys anything in Bitcoin. They're going to come back in and announce that they're re-implementing Bitcoin and no one's going to buy it again, anything in Bitcoin on their site. And, you know, like this is just, this is just very, everything is the same all the time. It's like, it's, it, I feel like uh, Eddie Murray and Groundhog Day, where every day I wake up and it's just like, what, what version of, you know, four years ago is today? And it's just again and again and again. Every four years for me has been the exact same, just Bitcoin's a little higher at the end every time. This is uh, the Rizzo. Rizzo is a uh, cycle maximalist. Rizzo, yeah. He told us last time, it's like, I'm a cycle maximalist. It's all going to play out the same. Always does. Every four years, same and same again. I was like, no, this time it's different. It's always different. And I know why it's different. Boom, fuck. There's again. a great book out about that called This This Time It's Different. <laughs> it's Schiller. <laughs> Talks about how uh, national debts, all, all countries default eventually, I think is what that one is. Anyway, how was the conference for you, man? It was good. Uh, same as usual. It's a bear market conference. I've heard a lot of shitcoiners gloating at how few people there were. I could have told everybody that this would be a smaller conference. I mean, everybody knows that. It's still, uh, still a lot of people there. Yeah, it was a lot of booths, a lot of people, a lot of art. Um, it was very, 
bear market conferency. I, uh, I went shooting with Jameson Lop the other day. I invited everyone to go, but only Jameson came and a couple, or I guess a, a good close Bitcoin friend locally. Um, I didn't invite you, Peter, because I've heard you're very bad with guns. Uh, I, I heard about an incident. Don't, don't talk about that. <laughs> you, you actually specifically didn't invite Peter. Jensen invited me and said, don't tell Peter. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so there was a, there was an incident, but we will talk about it. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. That that was my, my uh, inexperience. inexperience with guns. So first time I shot a gun was with Jameson Lop. Yeah, I know. Did he, did he tell you about it? Uh, he he didn't. I, you told me about it, uh, but I, yeah. you know, um, Jameson and I have done it two years now in a row, where we go and uh, we go uh, trap shooting uh, down here. And I can't believe you didn't tell me. We were in interviews. Oh, we can't do it. You can't go. You'll shoot. Well, people. then you could have told me. No, I won't. <laughs> I won't shoot people. <laughs> I might shoot a plane, but I won't shoot people. I'm coming next year. Fuck that. <laughs> All right. Prepare. I thought it was a great conference. Bear in mind, so 2019 was my favorite the one in San Francisco. The, the, what, I, what I think was great this year was uh, the side stage. Not the, the main stage sucked. I don't know if you spoke. Did you speak on the main stage? I uh, emceed one afternoon and I did one was, uh, fireside I mean, chat. But for, first of all, the main stage was heinous. If you talk, you're like, hello, 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 hello. It was like, you couldn't, you, you couldn't talk. It was, you're hearing yourself. All the good content this year was on the side stage. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But the, the thing is, I don't tend to watch any of the conversations or the chats when I'm there because I get to do it as a job all day, every day. I have... I speak to every one of these people and have them. What I find out is who tells me what the good ones afterwards, and I watch afterwards. So I'm, I'm definitely, definitely want to watch the one with RFK because I've not watched that yet. I've got that lined up. But uh, so I get, to, I get to go and use the conference differently. I get to go and hang out and see the booths, yeah, talk to people. But I, it, I tend to think of the conferences as like I, I think most Bitcoiners do. This is kind of the Bitcoin tradition. Um, it's funny because these are industry conferences now. So like you have these industry players who come and are trying to sell things, which is funny to us because there's really nothing here to sell. Uh, this is just finance, right? So ultimately the best thing that the only thing that Bitcoin really needs are financial products. You know, I think you've seen like the anchor watch stuff and everything else that's kind of taken off. Like those are the things I think that Bitcoin needs. Those are the only things that matter in the long term. Uh, but Bitcoiners use conferences to go see each other. We've yeah. known each other for long times and it's just a way for us to gather in a place and see people we haven't seen in a long time. So, you know, um, and I get to go to the conference. I get to say hi to Adam. I get to say uh, Adam back and yeah, yeah. I get to, you know, say hello to people that I haven't seen in, you know, two, three years, sometimes one year, you know, cause it's, you know, once a year we touch base, but it's just nice because, you know, it's a central place for all of us to gather and meet. You know, we're all, this is cash money that we're dealing with, and we're all sort of here watching it become cash money. It's not quite cash money yet, but we're watching it become this thing that we dreamed of it come, becoming. And it's kind of a little bit awkward for us to have like cash money clubs of, of sorts. Like, you know, go start a meetup group for the dollar. Like it, it just wouldn't be that, you know, but because because everyone has been laughing at Bitcoin and we've all developed sort of this entrenchment identity with it, we're all kind of uh, probably because of trauma. <laughs> <laughs> like just seeking out company with people that we've known for a while who've been influential in the space and who have moved uh, moved mountains here to make sure that Bitcoin gets where it needs to go. This show is brought to you by Unchained. Now, events, exchanges and traditional banks over the last year have been an important reminder of how critical it is for you to take control of your private keys. 
But listen, I know for some of you, this can be daunting, which is why our friends at Unchained offer a personalized concierge onboarding service. Now, I've personally been through the process and I've now set up the vaults for my football team, Rail Bedford. And okay, I've got a personal recommendation here. The multi-sig solution which Unchained have created is so easy to use. They also ship you the required devices and walk you through this step-by-step step so you understand exactly how the vaults work. After you set up, Unchained continues to provide you with regular support to help you get comfortable with controlling your keys. Now, if you've been putting off taking control of your Bitcoin wealth, Unchained's concierge onboarding is a simple way to get started. So book your onboarding today at unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did, which is U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. And at the checkout, you can get $50 off with the promo code what Bitcoin did. Next up today, we have Wasabi who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi is the easiest way for you to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and it provides privacy by default. With Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can start coin joining straight away. And Wasabi users make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users, and BTC Pay server users can make payments in CoinJoin, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi have just dropped a new feature. Now, Trezor Suite users can make coin joins directly on the hardware wallet, which is obviously very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, and they not only have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino also has over 2,800 games and tournaments for you to try out. And with their 24-7 live chat support, you can always get help if needed. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, that one time a year where everyone can get together and hang out. It's not about the conference itself. It's about everyone being in the same city. You can go to whatever parties you want or you can go for a beer with whoever you want. You can catch up. You can go shoot a gun with whoever you want. Just get to spend a week with a bunch of people, your friends, the people you want to see. They're not doing it in Florida next year, though. That makes me no, sad. No, go to Nashville. I'm kind of happy about that. I think Miami's a scam. Miami's, we all know that. Well, more so, <laughs> we all know that down right, here. So Miami increasingly scams you, like like Bitcoin increasingly goes up in value. They should just do it in Fort Lauderdale. Mm. Go up north a little ways. It's a better city. Well, he just said, who wants to see um, Kid Rock host the after party? I'm like, I'm in, I'm in Nashville. Okay, I like now. Nashville better now. Yeah, let's go to Nashville. I'm in. <laughs> I'm going to ask to rap with uh Well, I'll go to Kid Nashville, Rock. hang out with Kid Rock, drink our Budweiser's. Yeah. Our Bud Light's. Uh, but Budweiser's. Shoot, you, shoot some guns. Shoot some guns at the Budweiser's. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. Nashville would be very, very cool. As much as I like Nashville, I do like it being like out my back door. That's been the advantage for me uh, every year of this stuff. So You'll be there. I'll obviously be there. But like, I still am sad about it. I can't believe how many people who didn't go are bitching about it. It's like, you weren't there. Why are you moaning? Who's doing that? Oh, uh, just, you know. Bony people. The funniest, I think the funniest thing was the viral uh, moment with the two ladies 
uh, that thought there were cameras everywhere in their Airbnb. I don't know if everyone has saw this, but oh, I saw this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to mention their names for uh, fear of embarrassing them, uh, but. It was that was for me the highlight of the week. Yeah, but <laughs> you know that. what? In, fa- in fairness, I, I can imagine as a woman that is a, a big fear. You know, you don't want to go into an Airbnb and find out there's cameras. I think it's, I mean, it could be here. You know, I think it's different for men, but the, I think they do have this kind of fear of over things. Like, like that. what are you talking about? I go in, like, do you see this body? You <laughs> like, get the body want... out all the time, man. What's that? You get that body out all the time. Yeah, but, you know, maybe I do it in front of cameras that, uh, that I know are there. In your safe, in your <laughs> yeah, safe place. In my safe place. You're under your show. Did you um, did you uh, get a wizard outfit? No, uh, I I think I might. I I I, oh, I I completely forgot to do this. I was going to come on your show as a wizard. Okay. I was going to come on as the ossification wizard. <laughs> uh, I, you know, because because like there's been all this discussion of ossification in Bitcoin, and I, I wanted to have the discussion. I can't believe I forgot to do this. But uh, I, I think I've decided I'm going to start going around as the ossification wizard and just declare Bitcoin ossified. I mean, it's not ossified until it's ossified. It's never going to be ossified. That's not how code works. I just, like this whole ossification movement is hilarious to me. And I keep hearing people like repeat the rhetoric of ossification. I'm not a programmer, but... It, it takes me two and a half seconds to like figure out that ossification isn't a real idea in Bitcoin. It never will be. No, uh, Sailor brought it up in our interview, and I I didn't put him up on it. I should have actually, but he's talked about it. But I think he's new. Well, I think there's a different reason. I think I think if you're holding three billion of Bitcoin, and you see something like Taproot leading to ordinals, there are these unknown consequences of big change, big upgrades that. Yeah, that just happened. But, but ordinals don't, don't hurt forget the chain, though. No, no, no. Like, forget, forget, forget that. The point being is, it was an unknown consequence. Just yeah. That. Well, and so if, junior. if there's another big change, could there be an unknown consequence? So I think for someone like Sailor, the idea of ossification, thinking that Bitcoin works now, I don't need it to change. I think it's a different appeal for him. Whereas, yeah, for someone who's got hundred dollars of Bitcoin, they don't really care. And so. Yeah, James. I've spoke to Jameson about it. Jameson's, you know, very clear that we're not ready to ossify. Did he tell you about my wizard outfit? Was that no? Damn, because that was the guy I pitched it to. You should. You should, <laughs> you should have come on as a wizard. I forgot. I completely forgot to do it. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the 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 ossification discussion is really interesting to me because everyone's weighing in. And you might be right about Sailor and his huge numbers of Bitcoin and his desire to have it just sort of uh, fixed the way it is. But I, I don't think so. I think I think the ossification discussion for most people is a means of being on the right side of history. Like everyone wants to make predictions in Bitcoin and seem like they were on the right side of things like later and be like, I was always in support of that. You know, like I think Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin was a really good example of that. Everyone wanted to make sure that they were on the right side, that they declared the right things. And then years later, you know, if you weren't, we see the consequences of it, right? And um, there's people that navigated that really well. I think like Marshall Long, who started on the wrong side and has uh, since come on to the right side. And I think the community really likes him. Uh, I like Marshall. And, yeah, Marshall's a wonderful guy. He's a great guy. Uh, we used to we used to endlessly uh, make fun of him on Bitcoin Uncensored, uh, particularly during that entire fiasco. But you know he's come around, and I think he's he really is an honest broker and, and a good person. So I like I like him. Um, and if he uh, does something untoward, like uh, robs a bank or rapes somebody, then I withdraw that. But I don't think he will. Wences was the same. He he was on the wrong side of yeah. that. 
And he said, yeah, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yada, yada. I think there's a way to navigate it. Like those people did it, but I think everyone wants to be on the right side at the outset. And yeah. I think that's like why people are getting on the ossification train. It doesn't make any sense. Who's ever heard of ossified like code? It, it's a bad, it's a bad idea. Bitcoin will ossify, elements of Bitcoin ossify. The 21 million uh, cap, I think you could call ossified. Uh, there's a lot of things in Bitcoin that are sort of just ossified, if you will. Well, by nature of not making changes, you get to a point you say, we're not going to ossify the code. We're just not going to do anything with it's, it. It's going to become more and more stable. We'll have less and less bugs. And as that occurs, it will be changed less and less often. And I think there's a few uh, important things that need to happen in Bitcoin. Um, probably one hard fork at some point here in the future. For what reason? Uh, Luke Dash Jr. tells me it's for timestamps. I don't. Huh, okay. So whatever. I uh, I tend to I tend to trust uh, whatever Luke says. If Luke can't soft fork it, it can't be soft fork. That's that's what I think, and maybe he'll figure out a creative way to to uh, to do that. I don't know. And then I think I'm of the opinion that the sidechain promise uh, needs to be figured out. I think like drive chain is probably a good solution for that. Get mix get mixed feedback on that one. It doesn't matter. We we need we need either drive chain or something like it. But some that, that's what I've been saying. Something like it is totally fine. But we need we need to have some kind of sidechain option that is decentralized. Um, and to me, that those are kind of two very important things. Whatever whatever we need to do to like fix the base layer, get all of the things into a hard fork if we have to. Uh, and then I think that the drive chain stuff is probably somewhat important. I was talking to this about uh, talking about this with my son in the pool the other day. He was asking me about Bitcoin. I had a lot of uh, like deep questions about it. So we were talking about how it works and talking about soft forks and hard forks. And I was saying to him, I think there was there one hard fork in the history of Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, there was like there was an inflation bug. Yeah, that's why I told early him on. It's it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to call it a hard fork, given how few people there were, and that was kind of the understood premise that this was like beta software. Yeah, uh, and I don't know that the fix doesn't work with old versions of the software. It it might. Yeah, but but it was that inflation bug. It was discovered. Yeah. it was responsibly disclosed. And but but even if it hadn't, it was so early on. Like you know, it was one of those things. Like Bitcoin really Bitcoin really has been an experimental thing. Everybody has known, you know, it's like lightning right now. People are getting into lightning. I got into lightning. I opened a node, started it up uh, in some channels. Now I have about $2,000 locked and stuck and I have no idea how to get them out. It's a beta program. I knew that when I got in it, we're not, it's not ready. You know, none of this stuff is ready. Bitcoin wasn't ready at that time. It's a little different than now when there's like, you know, billions of dollars on it and in it and, you know, corporations have money in it and people have their life savings in it, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very different thing than putting, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 on the lightning as a test. Isn't it amazing how few things have actually gone wrong on the base chain? Yeah. It, it, it shows you the competency, I think, of the, the, the dev team. Not that we have a, a specific dev team, right? We don't have, like, I think that a lot of these chains are very much like someone will start by hiring someone to basically build the project that they dream of. Mm. Bitcoin's not like that. It's it's a volunteer, it's a volunteer chain, you know. And all of these devs, if they want money, they got to go find their own grants, and they have to find their own source of income. It's it's a very hard job, and taking it 
can be very lucrative in the long run, but very, very, uh, very hard road to toe in the short run. And I think that'll continue over time that it will be more and more lucrative to have been a core dev, to, to have contributed to this thing and to be known. But it's been, I think that Bitcoin exists on the charity of the people that were willing to basically sacrifice an immense amount of time to build this thing. Very smart people who could have done other things. And I think they've been rewarded by the price increases and such, but I think that they deserve a lot more than that. Uh, you know, th this world-changing technology, I think, has uh, is is one of those things that just I, I think we as a community just can't give enough to them to to really help them understand what they've done for us. Yeah, and I not just that; I mean, the world. I, th I think Bitcoin has a potential to really be a world-changing tech. Is it not already? Nah, no, nah, hasn't done anything. It just sits here. It's like a dead rat. I it's, mean, all we're doing right now, like we are the beta testers of Bitcoin. We're the ones putting liquidity on it. We're moving it around. We're giving it a quick, uh, you know, test. We're making sure that everything works. We're like, we're like, Bitcoin's in the garage, and we're the mechanics, and we're like, you know, revving it. That's what we're trying to do. It's not doing anything much yet. I don't, I don't find like El Salvador to be like that significant. I don't think that the changes there are necessarily because of Bitcoin. Uh, they're because Bukele is willing to be a dictator for a little while, and we'll see if he cedes power or if he, like, you know, becomes Hitler. Like, <laughs> he has two choices here, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I don't think that's because of Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin could be a cool part of that story, but I think it's a very, I think that he could have done what he's done so far without Bitcoin. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. So what would have to, hap what would have to happen <laughs> for you to think Bitcoin had done something for the world? I think Bitcoin... I think what will happen, and this is this is what I think in my mind happens over time. I think that you have these global currencies that are semi-stable, and yet some are very volatile. And I think what Bitcoin will do is, is as it grows, as more people come here, as more people understand what they're looking at, I think Bitcoin becomes more and more stable, less and less volatile. And if you were to have a chart of currencies that Bitcoin is more volatile than, or less volatile than, I think Bitcoin starts to move up that chart. And then I think once it's like in the top 10, top nine, top eight, top seven, top six, I think the whole world starts to look at it and say, uh, I could hold US dollars or I could hold this other thing, which is very stable and actually is easier to transact in because at that point, I mean, it's so big, but that's, that's a long way off. But I think that that's what happens. I think the way that Bitcoin consumes the world is through stability. And, uh, and if that's the case, I think that's, that'll just be really interesting for all of us to watch. I think that is the process of monetization. It's the process of uh, stabilization for Bitcoin. And in that way, I think all of a sudden you have, you know, Venezuelans looking at it. Like right now, Venezuelans are looking at Bitcoin and the US dollar and they're picking Herbalife, you know? They're, they're exporting their value through things like Herbalife, which is really an interesting, like if, what's amazing to me about impoverished people in other countries is that they find these incredible solutions to export cash. And Bitcoin is obviously the best way if you can get the Bitcoin. And uh, they can't. A lot of people can't. And I think in a lot of these countries, like I think in Venezuela, Dash and others, uh, really had what I would say were market, what amounted to marketing teams going down there and really pushing that stuff. And I think the collapse of a lot of those projects or the price and the, the not recovering of those projects really left a foul taste in a lot of those people's mouths. So I think Bitcoin has to kind of, 
kind of deal with the fact that there's just a lot of bad juju in these places uh, about crypto generally, mm-hmm. and they will have, and we'll just have to kind of like let that soften over time. But mm-hmm. you know, that's that's been the problem with shitcoins. Shitcoins have really hurt the uh, the advancement of Bitcoin. I, I'm not really bothered by it because I I think slow growth is the best way for this to happen. Definitely, I, I can make an argument that they've have helped in that a wider crypto industry has brought a lot more people in you can make both arguments i mean it could be wrong but, but i i don't think it's like i think every the wider crypto industry is nothing but scams oh no of course yeah so I, I don't care that they're here like those things are negative value to us they inure to us no value other than to keep the price down so we can buy more <laughs> that's it so i guess in that way it's positive but but you know all of the value in these other chains all of the value in these you know businesses and everything else surrounding crypto generally, it's it's non-existent. It's going to disappear. And I guess it inures to our benefit and that all of that value eventually flows back into our project, the one mm. that we like. But it's it just takes so long. And what's been interesting to me is the longer I'm here, the more I see everyone's here just to get rich, which doesn't bother me. I'm not really bothered by that incentive. But it, it is amazing how many people are willing to lay out and gamble. Like during the last bull market, I was hearing in Clubhouse and other places, these uh, these people would go on Clubhouse and say, like, I've done my research. I've looked at everything. You do your research, but I've done mine. And SafeMoon is the greatest coin ever created. They have legitimate use cases. It, this really- one has legitimate use It has a e- an e-commerce store or, you know, like whatever the case is. And then I hear the recaps of like old scams. Like I, I hear basically people telling me that this coin is everything and here's why. And then they'll, they'll walk me through it and like, that's just one coin. You know, we've already done that. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I always try and be open, open-minded. You're not open-minded. But what became very clear early on was that I actually use Bitcoin. <laughs> like I use it. Uh-huh. And so it has a use case. And I didn't use any of these other things. I can see... I can see some arguments for Monero. The data's out there on dark markets. It's definitely being used more than Bitcoin. And I think the reason is, is it's easier to stay anonymous than it is with Bitcoin. And I don't I know think so. That. The anonymity set isn't big enough. They just don't know that. I think fundamentally what people don't realize is that these, these people who are using these chains for business, uh, even drug dealers, they, they're not Bitcoiners in the sense that like they know what's going on. They're not here. Like They need this. They need alternative money. But they don't know the politics of Bitcoin. They believe the rhetoric of these other coins. Uh, Monero's anonymity set isn't big enough to keep you private. Zcash requires a huge amount of RAM. It doesn't keep you private because nobody uses the anonymity set. Yeah. So like, this is this is fundamentally the thing with Bitcoin is that Bitcoin's anonymity set. If you, I mean, like, you're, you'll get more in anonymity in Bitcoin if you're, uh, if if you're like doing these, you know, like. Wasabi wallet and stuff. You'll have more anonymity. Sure, but it's a big. Some some people's a big jump. I, like I, I don't know the the facts of the anonymity set, anonymity set and whether that, that it's easy to bust people. I don't know that. All I know is that people see that as more private and easier to gain privacy from yeah. when they're using it. Correct, but I'm just saying like that's a temporary belief because cool. these things. The, the anonymity set is not big. I mean, to think about it this way, like in a Bitcoin, all of the randomness has to come from within the chain itself, right? And the randomness is built on top of the number of users. But temporary solutions are fine. Like, 
the portable CD player was a temporary solution. Absolutely. You know what? Like, let people use Monero in those darknet markets. Yeah. Fine. Like it, Monero's always been kind of an experiment. We've always liked, like even on Bitcoin and Sensor, we, we'd bring like Fluffy Pony on. We always like Fluffy Pony. Some people hate him. They think he's a scam. I've always found him to be very genuine. Yeah. Ricardo Spagni is a wonderful guy. Yeah. Um, but, so, uh, but there's also, we had a conversation the other day. Was it Matt Corello? Yeah. He talked about Litecoin. He said, look, there's times when it's really expensive to send money on Bitcoin and you know, you could be on an exchange, you could swap some for some Litecoin and send it. It's cheaper and easier. And and I I can't argue against that. If somebody wants to do that, good for them. I have no issue with that. Well, in the, in the short run, like these things aren't going to zero. No. So like you, you can do that safely in the short run. It, it is a game of hot potato though. Yeah, of course. And then you have the, the pushing of dollars around the world on Tron or whatever platform yeah. or Ethereum. I'm saying there are temporary use cases. I'm with you long-term, it all trends to zero, Bitcoin wins, but... Um, I'm not such a maximalist that I'm going to deny somebody the truth of, of the solution some of these provide. I, I don't critique people for using things temporarily. Like I, like I said, I don't think that any of this stuff goes to zero tomorrow. No. But the thing is, you, you never know when the tomorrow that brings them to zero comes, right? So yep. it could be tomorrow. It could be 20 years from now. Uh, it could be a slow, painful death. It could be a long, or like a quick you know, no one saw a coming death. You never know, and that—that that to me is the, th the the reality of shit coins. Is you are dealing with a hot potato, and that hot potato might be hot for you know twenty years, and it might be hot for you know two more days. This show is brought to you by Iris Energy. Now, Iris is the largest Nasdaq listed Bitcoin miner using one hundred percent renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low cost excess renewable energy, and they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. They are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. And Danny and I met them recently in Canada and were super impressed with Iris Energy and their values, which align with us, so they're a great fit for what Bitcoin did and you, the listeners. Now, we are going to be working with Iris Energy on everything from the podcast to films to live events, and they're either sponsoring my football team, Rail Bedford. So we're really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin mining company. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. Next up today, we have Ledden. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledden's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledden has a robust risk management strategy and always prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledden only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledden is there to support all your needs. And not only is Ledden a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Ledden.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also today, we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world's leader in Bitcoin security, and it's the best way for you to own and secure your private keys. If you are still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time for you to take your Bitcoin security a little more seriously, because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Now, Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way for you to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. 
I've been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. What do you make of ordinals? I like them. I think that's funny. I, like, I, I don't have... I, I talked to Pete Rizzo about this, and he critiqued my, uh, my perspective on it. So, so Pete and I have two fundamentally different views on Bitcoin. He thinks that Bitcoin has to grow fast. I don't. So in his we mind... We had that conversation the other day, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. I think it has to grow right. I think it, I think it has to grow slowly. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, I think if it, grows, if it grows fast, people get... The countries get sick and they, they develop a case of the shooties. So I'd rather not have that happen. Um, and I think that that's more likely if something like Bitcoin grows fast. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of like the slow, the slow ascent uh, for Bitcoin. I'm very okay with that. I don't, I don't like the shooties. I don't think anyone should get them. So I, I want to do everything I can to avoid that. And, uh, and you know, I think he thinks that if it doesn't grow fast, it doesn't work because, you know, then there's a big attack vector. I, I'm not sure why. And he critiqued my like last sh- appearance on the show with regard to ordinals is not like praising them because uh, he thinks that there's a way to onboard you know thousands or millions or hundreds of thousands I don't we don't know how many of new users into Bitcoin with this narrative that you anything you can do on these other chains you can do on Bitcoin and I don't I don't think he's wrong I think that there is that opportunity I don't think that like Bitcoiners should be condemning ordinals. I think they should make it easy for people to onboard uh, from any of these stupid projects to anything else. Um, and, and when I say I like them, I like I like the inscription portion. I think that the accounting portion is a bit scummy. I think it's mainly just for pumping. There's nothing that actually ties a Satoshi apart from the accounting system to like the image that's in the blockchain. That image, once there, belongs to everybody. Anyone can look at it and access it. So I, I think that that's a, a really kind of... But you don't own it. it what's that? <laughs> but you don't own it. <laughs> yeah, but no one does. <laughs> uh, if, you can, if you can put a 3D printed gun uh, blueprint on Bitcoin and only one person owns it because they own the ordinal, that doesn't prevent every, the rest of the world from downloading it and then printing it. You know what I mean? It's, it's a little... It's so obtuse. And I've always thought this about... Uh, these NFTs in general, the, the whole thing is pretty obtuse, but I think it's funny. I, I enjoy it. I like the narrative. I like the irreverence. All of that stuff I like a lot. I like the fact that the ordinals thing developed without permission. That's, I think, the most interesting uh, part about ordinals is that there there was no one, like Casey, the guy who developed it, didn't ask anybody. Uh, he didn't say, can I please inscribe things on Bitcoin? He just built it. And I think that that's that is really the promise of uh, of what we've done here is that anyone can build anything that is feasible on the chain. And that means Bitcoin is so much more than just money now. I don't know if it means it's much more than money. Uh, the question is whether, like, well, like with ordinals, I think that if Bitcoin is used maximally as money, a lot of the use cases for ordinals gets priced out. Mm. You know, you no longer are going to be able to afford to put Pepe's on the chain unless you really, really want to. But what you might end up doing is, you know, there might be a banned book. There might be banned uh, gun blueprints or something like that. Uh, there's there's things that you could put on the chain that would otherwise not be allowed and, you know, maybe, or like th- that would otherwise not be easy to get. Um, 
you know, maybe somebody will develop a, an anchor link type protocol where, you know, you can go get a torrent that uses the chain as seeding something. I don't know. There's all sorts of, there's all sorts of cool, cool things I think that can be done here. But I think primarily Bitcoin is money. But this is, this, this emphasizes what blockchains are for. Blockchains are for, you know, uncensorable transactions and uh, sometimes uncensorable content, if that's what you need. And there's a number of use cases for uncensorable content. They're de minimis, but they're important, right? Whenever we see them, we know them. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I was indifferent to them to begin with, didn't care either way. Um, and I've recognized that some people are very anti them, dislike them, hate them. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are very pro them, people who... But nothing's changed. You've, no, always, you've always been able to embed content on Bitcoin. Of course. It's just the cost, the, the prices, like someone figured out how to do it cheap. That's it. Yeah, I just, I just find it interesting. Uh, but I'm, my indifference is I'm compl- it's, it's changed. I'm, from what I've heard is, yeah, well, I haven't found a miner who dislikes them. Miners love them. Miners love them. But you know what? It's like nobody's broke the rules. My favorite miner, Iris Energy, uh, especially. No. <laughs> They're sponsored, aren't they? Yeah, here we go. Um, the, uh, but I think miners, I, I heard someone the other day say that, you know, they wouldn't be surprised if the next reporting for miners are going to be like unexpectedly high and that like analysts are going to have no understanding of why because these miners are just raking it in right now with these t- transaction fees. And I don't know how long the fervor lasts. I don't think this is a good permanent solution. No, of course not. Uh, once the Pepe's and, uh, you know, uh, these people who have these, you know, projects kind of go away, then it becomes a, it just kind of disappears. But I do think it's interesting that at least temporarily miners are very happy because they get the uh, the extra fees for this little pet project. I've been thinking of um, doing my own ordinal set. You should do you should do your own ordinal. Well, I mean, like at the very least, Peter, I think everyone should try all of these things, uh, see how they're done. Because in my experience, if you're if you're playing with things like Counterparty, if you're playing with Ordinals, if you try, I, I think uh, Mike in Space is trying to launch Bitcoin Stamps. Yeah, what's that all about? I keep I think seeing probably about just, it. I, I haven't really looked, but I'm guessing it's just Ordinals with a different accounting system. Good. Um, BRC20. I think everyone should try them because then what you do when you try them is you learn a lot about Bitcoin and how it works. Yep. And I think that's really important because I think that most people are very ignorant about how the chain works. They don't understand when someone says you could run a protocol on it, exactly what that means. You know, Counterparty is a protocol completely written on top of the blockchain. That's a really weird proposition. But the idea is like, you know, you could have nobody running a, a Counterparty node, zero people. And then in 100 years, if you downloaded Counterparty and booted it back up, you would be able to look at all the transactions that occurred. And if you had a wallet, you would be able to look at it and you'd still have all of the things in your wallet. So like... There's been uh, other things that people have done. And like understanding counterparty helps you understand other things. So like, for example, a few years ago, there was a hacker that was using the chain uh, to tell his, his uh, botnet where, like if, if a server was taken down, where to redirect themselves to the new server. Do you know how botnets work? A little bit. Like, you know, they're, they, they're viruses they propagate on... Uh, on websites or wherever it is that you're going. And uh, at least in the case of that botnet, they, they were checking back with the server to like implement code or to like do things on a certain date. Right, okay. 
Um, I want to ask you about Jason Lowry. I had him on, did an interview with him recently, and uh, it didn't go it, it didn't go down very well. No, with those who chose to listen to it and watch via YouTube. It was probably our most criticized show ever. Really? Yeah. Um, and I'm intrigued by that because it was, they were very critical, very, very critical of me, of Danny. Just for having him on? No, actually for us not, Yeah, you know, I challenge everyone's thesis. I get everyone to explain things as simply as possible and tell people I disagree with him. And you know, a lot of people really like his thesis and they're really behind it and... Um, if you look through the comments, it's a lot of uh, you poorly prepared for this. It was a rubbish interview. The breed love one was better. Um, you don't understand. <laughs> the breed it. love one was yeah. better. Is that like is that like the greatest insult you could give somebody? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> I'm just I'm like I'm I'm really interested in the social side of this. It's, I can't tell if me and Danny have completely missed the, missed the mark, missed the point with this. Or whether he admitted in the interview he's uh, he ran a kind of social media blocking campaign to create awareness of him and his book that he said worked. So I can't work out if he's created an echo chamber and then people just think he's brilliant and cannot handle the idea that someone disagrees or doesn't understand it. But the, the comments were particular. They're, they're very different, aren't they? Yeah, very different. And a lot of them. I think it's probably my highest commented show. Up really? Up, up there at least. Yeah, up there. Like the ratio of comments to views, I've definitely, I'm going to guess it's top 10, probably top five. Huh, you've been ratioed. What Pete's trying to say is he thinks he's running bots. But I'm not so sure now. I, 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 I gathered. <laughs> I uh, gathered. Well, we know, we know there's definitely a bot because we received one comment after two seconds after publishing with hashtag software. So like, let's clearly a bot exists, but it's not necessarily him. It could be somebody else. Um. I'm not 100% convinced they are bots commenting. We've learned with like XRP though that like, you know, people can act a lot like bots. True. Uh, it, I mean, it, it would require like a deep analysis to figure out if, if that's what's going on. The, the, Lowry, the Lowry thesis is really interesting to me because I don't understand what he's saying that's new in anything that he says that's important. And I don't understand a lot of the stuff that he's saying that's like, that's that is new. I don't understand about like what a, what of it is interesting. See, this is the this is the point. I the conclusion I came to the interview, and I th I thought I had a great insight in it. In that, my conclusion was by the time we finished the interview, is yeah, I am a I consider myself just a very normal bloke, and I have a way of explaining Bitcoin to my mates down the pub. And Alex Gladstein works in the Human Rights Foundation yeah. the, and works with activists and um, he has a way of explaining Bitcoin to them. You know, Jason Larry is a military guy and he has a way of explaining Bitcoin to military people, but we're all saying exactly the same thing. We're just saying it in the language of the people, that the circles we mix in, which is fine, but that was my conclusion. And the point being is that there's all this criticism online. It's like quite harsh and full-on and brutal, but everybody I've spoken to outside of it, yourself and other people there, said, "Yeah, he's there's nothing new there. He's just telling people what they were, you know, in his language." Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think you've got a pretty broad perspective on Bitcoin that you've developed over the years talking to all these people. You know, I've tried to develop a, as broad a perspective as I can on what we're looking at. You know, as far as Bitcoin and uh, Lowry's position, I mean, I, I think I think that Bitcoin as an as as a sort of weapon 
is is not it's not unfathomable, right? Like I think that we know that North Korea is probably trying to get as much Bitcoin as they can. They're doing hacks. They're probably mining it themselves. I think the proper response from other states that realize that is probably to start mining Bitcoin themselves. That's probably what needs to happen. It's going to take, you know, I think there's been rumors that Venezuela has been stealing miners from Bitcoin miners. For years. And, uh, and then they regularly call the miner up and ask them to help them set up the miners in their <laughs> facilities. <laughs> so there's been like discussions of that. So if, if Venezuela, if North Korea are mining Bitcoin, it's, you know, it's time to think about the fact that like maybe nation states need to be getting into this and preventing them from amassing, you know, becoming uh, the Spanish Armada with, uh, with an immense amounts of gold. I think that's a really, a really bad thing for the world would be like a very wealthy North Korea. It would be a terrible idea. So, you know, I think that, I think that part of, I don't know if that, I don't think he says that specifically, but I think Bitcoin as like a state, as a, the the places where the state needs to touch Bitcoin, I think that's an important like discussion to be had. Um, And, you know, it's, it's interesting too, because in the nineties in the United States, they, we talked a lot about this back in the day on Bitcoin Uncensored, they like classified cryptography as munitions you weren't allowed to export it so people would wear these shirts through tsa i guess not tsa i guess they didn't really have that but they'd wear shirts to the airport that like had cryptographic signatures on it as kind of an fu to the state and i think that that was really i I, you know i think there are these interesting questions like if if there was at a time uh if cryptography was viewed as, as munitions in like america do we have like a second amendment right to hold it to hold Bitcoin because maybe we do. I don't know. Like I think these are all like questions that lawyers can play with. And I've, I've learned with lawyers every time I ask a question, they tell me I'm an idiot and that I don't understand law. But to me, those are really interesting kind of questions. If the state could classify it as munitions, why don't I have a Second Amendment right to have it? <laughs> but that went then in court and was classified a First Amendment right, wasn't it? I think it's both. To be honest, like if cryptography is munitions then I'm allowed to have it. I have a but second amendment right to it. But wasn't the law changed that it was, that cryptography was viewed as a first amendment, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was exactly what kind of closed down the the, the munitions argument. But and, and the reason it was munitions is because it was deemed as like military grade tech. Yeah. So when they said that like the public could have access to this, it went through as a first amendment. Correct. So have we not had that battle? Well, that's fine with me. I mean, you, you are probably correct on the legal side. If you were a lawyer, uh, you probably would write that up and... Uh, defeat my Second Amendment argument, but I just I, for me it's just like playing with ideas. Like I like the idea that you might have a Second Amendment right to Bitcoin. Um, it's a funny idea, but yeah, I, I think I think that fundamentally money is speech. I think that the courts have decided that in the U.S. and we have freedom to it. And uh, the state does a lot of regulation of that speech, which it's not supposed to do. And I think that that's you know over time going to have to be kind of. Uh, kind of looked at and figured out what the limits of regulating the speech is because, you know, honestly, like, it's our money. Mm. We should be able to do with it as we want. Leave our fucking money alone. Leave the fucking money alone, exactly. Stop fucking with us. And, you know, but that's that's the thing. Like, I think this year has been a really interesting year because, you know, you look at what, like, the United States did with Russia, uh, you know, removing them from the global payment system. Uh, money, money has always sort of been in utility. And it's always remained neutral. Money has always been a neutral commodity. If you have a U.S. dollar, it's sort of a bearer asset. If you know your access to the global banking infrastructure really is not supposed to be shut off a bull, 
uh, it, we always knew it was, but it's kind of been sort of a tacit agreement that we just wouldn't do it. And I think I think the state actions in this last year have shown, like I, I get it. Maybe you know, maybe Russia's an enemy. Maybe that's maybe we don't want them uh, existing. Maybe you know, all these sorts of you know caveats. But I think the moment that money that the United States and the rest of the countries did this action, money became non-neutral. Mm. And I think that's a big step in the the development of Bitcoin. And I don't think they know it yet, but I think that's a big step because I think if other nations look at that and say like, well, if we are deemed an enemy of the United States or if we're deemed an enemy of enough of the European nations, then we can be cut off from the global financial system. I think the ending of the neutrality of money is is in some ways the beginning of like Bitcoin as the alternative to it. Huh. I think that's fair. Is it, again, another insurance? Yeah. I mean, but the thing is like, the, you need... You need some insurance. Everyone has it, right? We like if you're smart, you have a little food. You know, you don't necessarily need like 12 months of food, but like, you know, maybe 2 3 weeks, get some rice, some beans. You know, everyone's got their like savings. Uh some people have their gold stash. Uh and there's a point where like if the insurance itself it what's interesting in the case of money is there's the possibility that the insurance itself becomes the money. Huh. And that's that's a really like kind of weird proposition. That's what gold bugs have always been waiting for: is that the gold itself becomes the money, and uh, it did for a while, but then it stopped being the money, and many of them still stash it, hoping that it will be the money again someday. And I think that's kind of the bet that Bitcoiners are making: is that the insurance itself, in a world catastrophe, or where money is so not neutral that other countries just abandon it, or that these CBDCs become you know elements of total control or that central banks take over and destroy the money, whatever the case is, that Bitcoin itself becomes the, the insurance, the vehicle of ensuring that you are standing uh, athwart global collapse. The vehicle itself becomes money. And I think that's a really interesting possibility. And that's why we're here in, in some sense, or that's part of the reason we're here. Uh, I kind of feel like that's such a profound ending I want to end. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just such a profound ending. It's like, where do you take that? Yeah, I think that you're right. I think that, <laughs> I th I think that, that is, to me, I think that that is the most, for me, the most salient possibility, the most important possibility of like where, uh, where Bitcoin could go. And I think if we just, you know, as Bitcoiners, as, as we're sitting here kind of watching where the world is, I think that the possibility of it becomes distinctly possible. It, it's more possible today where money has denutralized than it's ever been. And I think that's really a, uh, for me, a, an exhilarating, an exhilarating opportunity for Bitcoin, but also a very scary place for, I think, the world. All right. Do you want to sing us out? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> We've not got a second song lined up. <laughs> Just do the first Just one. Just go. Go a <laughs> cappella. Oh, yeah? Yeah, go on. You got any? I don't, I don't have any a cappella songs. What should I do? I don't know any of the songs you sing, to be honest. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> A little Metallica. Unforgiven too. <laughs> what would I, I do? <laughs> hit him up. This age is it? What is it? I better on my Guns and Roses. I, I don't. You know. I don't. You know. I was raised on a Christian commune, and I didn't know any any music from any of these bands until I got to college. You didn't get Christian rock. Uh, I, I was allowed to listen to POD when I was older, but I got like DC Talk 
Newsboys. Uh, those are about as, like, they have a rock song about cereal. Um, <laughs> it was when the toast is burning, all the milk has churned, and Cap'n Crunch is waving farewell. May the big one find you. Let the song remind you that they don't serve breakfast in hell. <laughs> Fuck what sake, man. Where did you grow up? <laughs> All right, John Seth, I love you, brother. <laughs>All right, then. What do you think of that crazy man? God, I love John Seth. I would definitely have him sing at my wedding or birthday party. I think, I was chatting to Danny, I think he should go on X Factor. Or, I don't even know if they do X Factor anymore. I think he should go on that. I think he'd win it. But it's great to have him on the show. Love getting his views on everything, even though he's a massive weirdo. Um, we're here out in Nashville. We're going to be here for a few more days. Going to be heading down to Bitcoin Park again tonight. Going to be heading down there again tomorrow. We're going to be doing the lightning event. And then we're off to Austin for a couple of days. If you're in Austin, let us know. We might come and hang out with you. We might come and have a beer. I'm also off to Argentina next week. Going to be making part four of Follow the Money. And then it's back to the Bedford. It's going to be back ready for the start of the football season. Cannot wait. Now, if you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com.